Here they come! Welcome to episode 124 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm alone for a short one to discuss the opening of Doctor Who's 23rd season and The Trial of a Time Lord. think I'm alone in that if somebody was to say to me what's the best thing about Trial of a Time Lord is uh, well it's the opening isn't it the opening of the very first story and um, yeah really that's the only thing I like about Trial of a Time Lord from from the opening it all goes rapidly downhill and becomes the thing that I was um, quite um, you know put off by by the previous season but anyway the opening is is pretty darn good um, and there is a reason for that and so yeah let's get into the reason for that it's fair to say that things weren't looking good for Doctor Who in the mid 80s uh, the show appeared tired and it looked like it was losing steam audience figures were falling fans were becoming apathetic and the show whether it be through script design casting choices was not the show that it once was and that was all noticed by the head of the Beeb, Michael Grade, who, if accounts are to be believed, hated the show and was looking for reasons to get shot of it. Attempts the previous season to G things up a bit by changing the format to 45-minute episodes, one a week on Saturday evenings, helped. And the season ended with revelation of the Daleks in March 1985. The Doctor Who team were ready to repeat the formula for the new season 23. However, the BBC were having financial trouble, partly due to the massive cost of launching EastEnders, and season 23 was pushed back from the planned January 86 release to September, meaning it would be, be taking place in a new financial year. Seeing the long gap as maybe time to have a reset, hopefully with the public forgetting many of the recent failings, and to start afresh, the team set to work. That sense of starting afresh, and with a bang, was passed along to the visual effects crew. Having a massive lead-in time of 18 months meant that, unlike usually, they had plenty of time to prepare, which is just as well as the start of the very first episode of the new season had an extensive piece of model work. I'm guessing that visual effects designer Mike Kelt had collaborated with the story's writer Robert Holmes, as it's a lengthy sequence for Doctor Who, that was meticulously storyboarded and I'm guessing 
was far more extensive than if Robert had turned in the script all by himself. Intended to be one long continuous shot, the camera was supposed to approach a space station and, when it got close, swoop down and over its very detailed hull before approaching a hatch, which opens, then fires the tractor beam out, the camera turns and looks up and away to follow the beam's path when we see it's caught the TARDIS, which is sucked down the beam and into the station. All in one shot. Very ambitious for a movie of the mid-80s, let alone uh, the BBC. If pulled off correctly, it should have the wow factor to really set this new season off on the right foot. Now, as the camera was going to be moving really close to the station surface, it would have, have to be a very detailed model of the space station. And also to get the, the camera in and around it, it meant that the space station was going to have to be big. Construction of it was handed to Melvin Friend and Peter Akas and things were made easier of them in that the design of the space station was circular so they decided to divide it up into effectively six cake slices that could be assembled together a bit like the wedges on a Trivial Pursuit piece. Just one of the six wedges was made uh, from dense foam cut with a hot wire cutter which then added, had some added minor detail put on along with a lot of piping by Melvin and Mike Kelt who had just transferred from elsewhere in the BBC to the Who team. Once done, a silicon mould was made and six copies were made in fibreglass. The six sections were joined together and then the team started extensively kit bashing, that is, using parts from model kits to busy and detail the surface up. At that time, the model kit importer Amarang had started getting into the UK model and toy shops those brilliant Macross kits. And I remember this very clearly. They were everywhere. Every toy shop you went in, you had these Japanese animation model kits, which were fantastic, fantastically detailed, had many, many parts, very unusual parts, not your usual Airfix or Tamiya tank and aircraft parts. Um, very unusual pieces, and they were incredibly cheap. I remember, you know, buying a couple of kits at a time, make them go back to the shop, buy the next two. Um, these were bought up by the BBC, several hundred pounds worth were bought and in those days several hundred pounds would have bought you a lot of them and they were used extensively all over the model. While that was going on, Peter Akis started on the central spire. That was built mainly from EMA tubing but also had buttresses made from MDF. Over the top of that, a layer of fine detail of kit parts and also some brass patch Brass pitch, brass etch was put on uh, to make it really intricate. Once primed and then sprayed an orange red with contrasting white panels, the whole thing was weathered with powder paints. There was some internal lighting put in at this point, but the rest of the internal lights that you see in the final shot um, was a composite. Mike Tucker had the job of building two TARDISes for this scene as all the miniatures from the show had somehow vanished during that 18 month gap. He was asked to build an 18 inch and a 6 inch one, it, but it wasn't until he had finished the 18 inch one that he realised he had got the dimensions wrong and it was too tall for its width. But that really didn't matter because the, the main shot where you see the larger of the two TARDISes um, is as it's being pulled down into the station and the camera is above. So actually the elongated shape of it actually helped the perspective a bit. For filming, the relatively new motion control was used. 
totally unknown at the BBC at the time, the work was fielded out to the Peerless Camera Company in Soho in London, who had just finished work on Aliens. Motion control is where you have a camera on an arm which can turn through 360 degrees, being controlled by a computer, which films frame by frame and then, crucially, remembers what it's done and can repeat it precisely. The effect sequence required several different passes. The filming of the approach and pass over the station module, model, which is then repeated for the lights, then the map which would allow the images to be combined, the stars and the TARDIS. While filming the model pass, the spire was removable, and the reason it was removable was as the camera approached the spire and then went around it, the spire was lifted up and out of the way so the camera could pass over it, and then it was put back in place as the camera continued to move. This is, you know, the mid-80s, and computers back then were... Uh, took rather longer than they do now, so the actual filming of this sequence took a whole week. Um, that broke down to the space station arriving in Soho at Peerless on the Monday and it took all day just to program the computer into the moves that it was going to do. On the Tuesday the shot of the model was done along with a second pass for the lights and a third one for the tractor beam. On the Wednesday the mat shot was done and on Thursday the Starfield. Friday was the TARDIS and apparently that the reason that there's a matte line around the TARDIS and nowhere else in this sequence is that the optical for it was done after the rap celebration down the pub at lunchtime and the folk were a bit um, muddled when they came back so that's why you have a bit of a blue line around the TARDIS is they were a bit tiddly alright so that's that that's the behind the scenes of it um, as I say, it's a short sequence today. Uh, I just wanted to do uh, uh, an episode just you know, to remind you that <laughs> I am still out there. Um, I've chosen it because, as I say, I mean, this is the highlight for me and I'm sure many others of season 23. Um, you watch it now and it is still fabulous. This is mid 80s, but you know, that holds up today. You know, the way the camera comes in, the way it swoops around the space station, the, the way it will just su suddenly take almost like a, a roller coaster ride sharp turn, and the space station turns, and so does the Starfield. You know, amazing stuff uh, at the time, amazing for Doctor Who, and um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. The only thing that lets it down now, which is what let it down, I remember back when I, I originally watched it, is the music. Um, Doctor Who at the time had this um, tendency to have very in your face, in your ear, um, overly dramatic, blaring music, and it, it doesn't it doesn't help it at all. If you if you watch the uh, sequence on YouTube, and it is on YouTube, if you go to Facebook, I'll I'll put the link to it, um, um, and watch that with the sound down, or if you you know put on a piece of Brian Eno or something more uh, in keeping um, it works terrifically and um, yeah and still really holds up the music doesn't but the the effects do and we're judging the effects so um, out of 10 it's it's really good it really holds up so I'm giving it an 8 and that's me done for today so yeah as I say um, just a little one to just uh, um, keep the show going next time i have it in mind who's coming along and it's an old friend of the show who hasn't been on it for a while so hopefully that will be out 
before too long. So thank you, everyone. Um, see you next time. <laughs>